0: Uh, this morning, uh, I'm, as is happening generally now as when I'm speaking, we're, we're one church, we've been in two congregations, those of you who are new here. We have another congregation a mile or so down the road, and once I've finished speaking, I'm going to be heading down there to speak there as well, so I'll be sh- shooting out the door. As Fix has said, we're in a season of more prayer. If you are here for the first time this morning, if you haven't been around the last couple of weeks and haven't yet picked up one of our 50 Days of Prayer books... Please do uh, grab one of those before you leave this morning, tell you all that we're doing over this season. Uh, Those of you who were here last week and uh, heard me speak about prayer will be really excited to know that I went down to Sainsbury's in Old Town yesterday and I got the parking spot closest to Sainsbury's, closest to the parking meter (laughs) on a Saturday afternoon when it was super crowded. God was with me. (laughs) So we pray, we pray for parking spaces. Right, this morning I want to talk about... More knowledge of God. More knowledge of God. I wonder what you know most about. If you had to take your seat in the mastermind's chair, what would be your specialist subject of knowledge? What do you know most about in life? What areas do you know most about? Some people know an incredible amount. The world number one quizzer is... Kevin Ashman, who has one mastermind, he's on the Eggheads TV show. He's the world number one quizzer. He seems to know everything about everything. But what do you know most about? If you had to take your seat in that mastermind chair, would it be about your work and what you understand in your profession? Would it be something to do with a hobby that you pursue that you love? Would it be actually your family Are your area of specialist knowledge? You'd want to take a quiz on them. You think you do pretty well in that. Whatever it is, who would claim to be an expert on God? Who would claim to be an expert on God? But the prayer that we're looking at this morning from Ephesians chapter 1 asks for exactly that, that we would know more and more of God. And this isn't a prayer or an aspiration for an elite few. It's not for the Christian equivalent of Kevin Ashman, but it's for all those who know Jesus, for all who have faith in Jesus, the prayer that Paul prays is that we would know more and more of God. So let's look at this prayer. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 15 down to 21. Paul prays this for the Ephesian church. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Hallelujah. Amazing passage. Now, there are lots of things that we know. You know stuff. I know stuff. There are things we could take our seat in the mastermind chair and be quizzed about and do pretty well. There's lots more that we could know, but the thing that we need to know first, says the Apostle Paul in this prayer, is to know God. What we need most is more of God. To know God more, to know him better. And this is a different category of knowing from any other kind of knowledge. Coming to know God is different from any other thing we might know about. It's about coming into a relationship with a person, with God who's personal to us. It's about knowing the one who has all authority, the one who is supreme over all things. And so this morning what I'm hoping we'd see is that those of us who are Christians already, we'd again have, as Paul prays, the eyes of our hearts enlightened so we would see more of God. And that those of you who don't yet know God, that you might come to know him because this is actually the thing which is of first importance, the thing we need to know above and beyond anything else, the one we need to know above and beyond anything else is the living God. Now, knowledge, knowing stuff is good, can be satisfying, knowing stuff, but the human drive to know and to acquire can also be paralyzing. There's so much to know and so much we don't know. We can be so aware of that, it can just leave us paralyzed. A friend of mine who's been going through a season of burnout recommended this book, Notes on a Nervous Planet, by Matt Haig, which has been a, a bestseller. Anybody read this one? One or two hands. I thought it was interesting. This is what Matt Haig says about the state of our worlds with our huge acquisitiveness of knowledge and possessions. Somewhere along the way, we have raised the threshold of what we need or feel we need to be happy. We are encouraged to buy stuff to make ourselves happy because companies are encouraged to make more money to make themselves more successful. It's addictive. It isn't addictive because it makes us happy. It is addictive because it doesn't make us happy. We buy something and we enjoy it. We enjoy the newness of it for a little while, but then we get used to having it, we acclimatize, and so we need something else. We need to feel that sense of change, of variety, something newer, something better, something upgraded, and the same thing happens again. And over time, we get used to more and more stuff, and this applies to everything. The Instagrammer who enjoys getting a lot of likes for their selfie will soon seek more likes and be disappointed if the number stays the same. The grade A student will come to feel like a failure if they get a single B. The entrepreneur who becomes rich will seek to earn more money. The gym-goer who likes their new sculpted body will want to train harder and harder. The worker who gets the promotion they wanted will soon want another one. With every achievement, acquisition, or purchase, the bar is raised." There's just too much out in the world. There's too much information and too much stuff. And this can lead to overload. And the point that Matt Hague is making in the book, the title of the book, A Nervous Planet, the reason why there's so much anxiety is because we're just so overwhelmed by the amount of stuff there is to know and acquire in our world. We're suffering from overload. Information is expanding at the rate of a nuclear explosion. We've got stuff coming out of our ears. Now, Matt Haig provides some good diagnosis of what's going on in the world, and he provides some good common-sense advice about how to find greater mental equilibrium, but this book contains no gospel. What he deals with is the problems, and he helps give some solutions to the symptoms, but he doesn't deal with the foundation. The foundational problem is not knowing God enough, wanting to know everything else and acquire other things without knowing, acquiring God. Our problem, us human beings, isn't that we want to know stuff, and it isn't that we want to have stuff. Our problem is that so often the thing we think we most need actually isn't the thing that we need. And even churches can fall into this mistake. Churches can be guilty of a kind of missselling when churches say to the world, come along. If you've got problems with your marriage, come to us and we'll give you a marriage course which will sort out your marriage. And if you've got addictions, come and we'll run an addiction course and we'll help you with your addictions. And if you've got finance problems, well, come to us and we'll help you with your finance problems. And here at Gateway, we love to help people with their marriages and with their finances and with their addictions. But the thing that we need most is more of God. We need more of God. And it's a miss selling when churches do that, say, so just come and do this course and we'll fix this. No, that's, all that's doing is dealing with the symptoms. It's not dealing with the root problem, with the foundation problem, which is that we need to know God. And so when the Apostle Paul prays for the Ephesians, he's very clear about what they most need. What they most need is to know God. They need more of God. And so he prays, I keep asking, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ The glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians and for us. I keep asking that you might know God more. You might know him better. When Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians and as he was praying for them, we think that he was actually in prison at the time, in prison in Rome. And so Paul had real needs. He was in chains. He had obvious real needs. And the Ephesians he's writing to, they had real needs as well. But there's a remarkable absence in this prayer of Paul's for material needs. He doesn't pray for his material needs or their material needs. He prays that they might know more of God because what they most need is more of God. And I wonder if this is different from how we tend to pray. Last week, I recommended four particular books on prayer, which are helpful, one of them, a little one called Pray Big by Alistair Begg, I've really enjoyed. He says this about Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. The believers in Ephesus were in one sense just like us. They had concerns for food and for clothes and for shelter. They would have thought about and talked about and worried about being married or getting married being parents or wishing they were parents or wishing some days they weren't parents, employment, paying taxes, wealth, health. But there's no mention of these matters at all in what Paul prays for them. In fact, praying about health, which if we had the chance to listen in on the prayers of Western Christians, would likely come in at number one, is rare, almost non-existent in the Bible. So why are we praying about it so much? Well, part of the answer I would give to us to beg why we pray for health and for healing is the example of Christ, that Jesus prayed for the sick. And a sign of the kingdom of God breaking in is the sick are healed. When God's kingdom comes in its fullness, there will be no sickness. And so it's actually right as we pray, your kingdom come to pray for the sick to be healed. But the question he asks and the point that he makes is a good one. Why are our prayers not more like the prayers of The Bible, the prayers of the New Testament, are very different from how our prayers so often are. And this is because the apostles who have written the Scripture seem to believe, do believe, that there are things which are more valuable and more desirable than health or wealth or freedom. And that's a real challenge to us. It's certainly a real challenge to me, in terms of how I think and the prayers that I pray, because I, as have you, have been so thoroughly trained by the society in which I've been raised that health and wealth and freedom are the first priorities, that it's incredibly difficult to think there might be other things which actually are more important than health and wealth and freedom. Of course, this is exactly what Jesus taught. So what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. The point that Jesus is making there is don't let the tail wag the dog. And what our society, what our consumer society teaches us is to put the tail first, we put health and wealth and freedom first and expect the dog to follow along. It's the wrong way round. And that's why, as Matt Haig says, the Instagrammer who enjoys getting a lot of likes for their selfie will soon seek more likes and be disappointed. If the number stays the same, the Grade A student will come to feel like a failure. If they get a B, the entrepreneur who becomes rich will seek to earn more money. That's why we get caught on this relentless treadmill of life where we feel overloaded and anxious because we're putting the tail in the place of the dog. Seek first his kingdom. No wonder we live in a nervous planet. No wonder we're all so anxious because we're trying to put the tail first. Now we, as we read Paul's prayer in Ephesians, as he prays for the Ephesians, we might think, why isn't Paul praying for all the sick who are among them? Why isn't he praying about their work situations? Why isn't he even praying and talking about his own circumstances as he's a prisoner in chains in Rome? Ephesus was an incredibly challenging city to live in as a Christian. The first, uh, this first group of Christians in Ephesus living in this big, aggressive, pagan city is a tough place to be. Is Paul just too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly use? Well, Later on in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul gives plenty of practical instruction about how Christians should live. But the first thing, the most important thing, is knowing more of God. And this isn't because Paul lacks pastoral sensitivity. It's not that he's some kind of insensitive brute who's unaware of the realities of what people are experiencing in their lives. It's not that he's ignoring practical realities. He's not unaware that people are having tough time. He's not unaware that people are sick. He's not unaware that people are experiencing loss and hardship and difficulty. But he wants to identify what is most important. He wants to identify what is best for us. And what is most important, what is best for us human beings, is that we would know God's And that we'd know more of God. And so Paul prays I keep asking, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. This has got to come first, knowing God. Let's look a little bit more closely at the passage, the prayer, and see what he's saying. What does it mean? When Paul prays that we would have more knowledge of God, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now that reflects somewhat confused anatomy. Hearts don't have eyes, hearts have chambers and uh, arteries and veins and valves. Uh, The heart doesn't have eyes, but it's a beautiful phrase. And of course, what Paul means by that isn't isn't just that he's got confused anatomy. The heart, what the heart represents, the heart not just as a physical object, but representing what we are as human beings, the heart is the seat of our identity, of who we understand ourselves to be, and of our knowledge, of our emotions, our feelings, and what Paul is praying when he says, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened. He's praying that we might open up to God, that we might have a spiritual vision, a spiritual seeing, so that we would see more of God, know more of God, that where our identity and emotions and knowledge are directed are towards God. And when we first come to faith in Jesus, we, we need God to open our eyes. You can't come in faith to Jesus unless, in his grace, God causes the eyes of your heart to be opened and for you to see and believe and make that appeal of faith to God. But Paul, in this prayer, isn't praying firstly for those who don't yet know Jesus. He's praying for the believers in Ephesus, for those who already know Jesus. I pray for you Christians that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? Because there's a greater knowing, there's a greater seeing, there's a greater openness to God that he wants them to have. Think about how the human heart, the physical heart, responds to Exercise. The heart is an extraordinary organ of the body. This uh, sack of muscle which beats throughout our lives and is the definition of life. Your heart stops beating and, and that's when you die, pumping pints and pints of blood around our bodies all the time, continuously from the moment we're born to the moment that we're dead. It's an extraordinary organ, but the heart changes. You exercise, you develop your heart. Often people will start going to the gym because they want to look better. They want to get that six-pack, get those biceps. But that's only dealing with the periphery, it's dealing with the symptoms. Actually, what counts is your heart strong. What you want is a strong heart. You want a healthy heart. It doesn't matter how ripped you look, if you've got your, your, your hearts all clogged up and in a mess, what you need is a healthy heart. And the heart, the physical heart, can change and be strengthened if we look after it and exercise and eat and do all the things we've always been told relentlessly, boringly, that we need to do. But the point spiritually is that also our spiritual hearts can change. It might be that you know Jesus, but spiritually your heart is kind of clogged up. It's got all those fatty deposits in it. and. The arteries are getting a bit blocked up and you need a stent fitted to sort things out or maybe a bit of a bypass operation because things have got really bad. Paul is praying, the eyes of your heart be enlightened. It might be that we're operating beneath our true spiritual potential. Just like an athlete, start training and you find there's an extraordinary potential. never, Never suspected. Somebody does never run before, and they think even doing 5K park run is out of their reach. They do 5K park run, and then a year later, they're running a marathon. Why? Because their heart's been changed. And it might be that spiritually, we're operating beneath our potential, and so we need to pray as Paul prayed, Lord, let the eyes of our hearts be enlightened. Father, open our eyes so that we might see more of you, know more of you. And Paul gives three areas in which he wants the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened. First is this, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Hope. It's a beautiful word. When we use the word hope, normally in conversation it tends to either reflect something that we're kind of got a positive attitude about or something which is more wishful thinking. I I hope someone sorts out Brexit. I hope I pass this exam. I hope she says yes. I hope I win the lottery. I hope I live to be a hundred. Christian hope is very different from that kind of just positive thinking or wishful thinking. Christian hope is certain hope. It's Guaranteed, it's given. It's hope in something which is already ours and which will be fully realized through the ages. This is what the writer to the Hebrews says. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. I love that imagery. What is hope? It's an anchor which is planted, solid, and it's not going to shift. And even at times when it feels like we're being buffeted and rocked around and there's storms and we're aware of the storm, there's this beautiful imagery that hope is locked into what is solid and will not budge. And if we're held by hope, even if we're being pitched and tossed about by the circumstances of life, we are held fast. That's what hope is. Romans chapter 5, we boast in the hope of the glory of God and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have this hope which doesn't let us down doesn't put us to shame, a hope in which we can boast. It's the hope of the completeness of our salvation. Our salvation is sure, it's guaranteed. But we can lose sight of this. The eyes of our hearts can grow dim, get clogged up. And so we need to pray for the eyes of our hearts to be open to the hope that we have. We need to pray it. Pray it for yourself. Pray it for your brothers and sisters. Pray it for us. of this church pray that the eyes of our hearts would be opened, so that we would know the hope that is ours so when things feel hard you can still sing with the words of the great hymn my hope is built on nothing less than jesus blood and righteousness i dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on jesus name on christ's solid rock i stand All other ground is sinking sand. And then when you're still struggling and buffeted, you can come to the next verse and you can sing this verse as well. When darkness veils his lovely face, on those days when it feels like God isn't so close, what do you do? I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor, it is secure. It holds within the veil on Christ's solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And still you sing his oath, his covenant, his blood. Support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way. He then is all my hope and stay on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. He's our hope. Let's pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we might know the hope we have in Christ. Not just positivity, not wishful thinking, something which is secure and guaranteed. Whoa, second thing we need the eyes of our heart open to see is this. In order that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now there are two ways in which this expression of Paul's can be understood and interpreted. The first is that We, the people of God, the church, are God's inheritance. And so it might be that Paul is saying here he wants us to understand what it means to be counted as God's inheritance. This is similar to what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Wow, that's one of the... That's one of the high points of Scripture. What a verse. If you understand what it means to be part of the people of God, if you understand what it means to be God's possession, that will cause praise to flow out of us. Thank you, Father, that I'm counted as yours. I'm counted as your possession. I'm counted as a member of your people, a chosen people, a royal priest, a holy nation. I belong. Hallelujah. That's one way in which we might interpret what Paul is saying here. A second way. Though to look at it is to see that inheritance speaks primarily to what God is going to give us. And so when Paul prays, he wants us to know the riches of God's glorious inheritance in his holy people. Where he's really focusing is thinking about all the things that God is going to give us. This is also what he says in Colossians chapter 1 Give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom. Of light. Now, in Christ, we will inherit all things. Christ is Lord over all things. All things are his, they will be his, and in Christ, somehow we participate in that. The whole universe is ours. It's got our name. It's got his name, which means that somehow it's got our name stamped on it. It belongs to us. And so, in weighing up which way we interpret Paul's phrase here, I want you to know the riches of his glorious inheritance I'm not entirely sure we need to make a choice. Actually, I want to understand both dimensions more. I want to understand more of what it means to be the inheritance that belongs to God, part of his chosen people. I also want to understand more of what it means that he's going to give me an inheritance. And you know, either way, it means riches. In order that you may know the riches, not the poverty, not the skimping little bit, not the Doggy little ends, left over. No, the riches of his glorious inheritance. And so we need to pray. We need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters that we might see how rich we are. The riches that we have in Christ, the riches of our inheritance that our Heavenly Father is bestowing upon us. This is a beautiful verse from the prophet Hosea. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. Know more of God. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Ultimately, God himself is our treasure. He's our riches. We need to have the eyes of our heart enlightened so that we would know him more and see the riches that we have in him. Let's pray for that. And the third reason Paul prays that there. The eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, is in order that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. I pray the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. God's power is incomparably great. This past week, David Cameron got into trouble for relating a conversation with the Queen when he asked her to raise an eyebrow about Scottish independence, and of course, he was a naughty boy. You're not meant to reveal those kind of conversations with the Queen, it causes all kinds of problems. But the interesting thing was that she did raise an eyebrow in that she made a little comment to somebody, which was widely reported, and was seen as very significant in the Scottish nation voting to remain part of the UK rather than going for independence. Now, if the Queen can raise an eyebrow and it changes the national vote, What about the incomparably great power of God? How does that measure? God's power is the power that raised Christ from the dead. And we're to know this resurrection power. That's what the Apostle Paul is praying for the Ephesians, praying for us. I want the eyes of your hearts to be opened so you might know the incomparably great power of God, the power that raised Christ from the dead, that you might experience something of that resurrection power yourselves in your lives, there in Ephesus, here in Bournemouth and Paul. We're to know the resurrection power of God. And we're only going to know the resurrection power of God when our spiritual eyes are opened. And so we need to pray, we need to pray for ourselves, we need to pray for our brothers and sisters. Pray that we might know this power. This is what the prophet Jeremiah says. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. So much boasting in our worlds, boasting in human wisdom, human strength, human riches. We need to boast in the Lord. We need to know him and know his incomparably greater power, the one who is kind and just and righteous. Hallelujah. Let's pray that the eyes of our hearts might be opened so we might know him. Let's put all this together. What Paul's praying its a great example for us in how we should pray. Let's not settle for small prayers for ourselves and for others. Let's pray for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. Let's pray for more knowledge of God. Let's not let the tail wag the dog on this one. It's not health and wealth and freedom first. No, it's knowing God first. And if we get that right, we're going to be empowered to handle everything that life throws at us. If we have the eyes of our hearts open so that we know the hope that we have and the riches that we have and the power that we have in God, then we're going to be able to handle everything else that life throws at us. If you're sick, we'll pray for you, but what you need to know first is the hope that is yours in Christ and the riches that are yours in Christ and the power that is at work in you because of Christ. If your marriage isn't a mess, we can help you, but... We don't just want to deal with the symptoms. We need to get to the foundation. And the foundation is knowing God and knowing that in him there is hope and riches and power. If your finances are in a mess, we can help you with that. But we don't just want to deal with the symptoms. What you need to know is the hope, the riches, the power of God. You need to know God. Otherwise, we're just tinkering, just messing about with the symptoms. So when we know God... That we get released from the treadmill of human acquisition, of knowledge and stuff. We need to know more of God. It's knowing God that will get you through. It's knowing God to get you through. Whether that's in Ephesus, whether that's in Bournemouth, Paul, or to the ends of the earth. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. That you would know him. That you'd know him better let's pray together let's stand and let's pray ask God to open our eyes let's pray this out loud together dear father thank you that we can know you as we come to you the one who has all power and authority let our eyes be opened and our vision increase. Thank you we can know the power that raised Christ from the dead at work in us. Let us see that displayed through the witness of your church in BCP and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Amen.